focusing on a very dramatic and pivotal story in the book of Acts. If you'll join me in chapter 9, Acts chapter 9, the words will also be on the screen, and I'll invite you to hear or read along in verses 1 through 20. This is the conversion of a man named Saul, who we might know better as Paul. Paul. Hear these words. Meanwhile, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any who belonged to the way, this is the term they used to describe followers of Christ at the time, if he found any who belonged to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And now as he was going along and approaching Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he asked, who are you, Lord? And the reply came, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless because they heard the voice but saw no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he answered, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas. This is not Judas Iscariot. This is another Judas. Judas Judas was as popular a name as John and Pete and Billy. (laughs) Go to the house uh, of Judas and look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. At this moment, he is praying, and he has seen a vision In a vision, a man named Ananias come in and lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem, and he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who invoke your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is an instrument whom I have chosen to bring my name before Gentiles and kings and before the people of Israel. I myself will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias went and entered the house. He laid his hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on your way, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and his sight was restored. Then he got up and was baptized And after taking some food, he regained his strength. And for several days, he was with the disciples in Damascus. And immediately, he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Pray with me. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts together be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. A couple quick observations on this passage. This is one of the most well-known stories of the New Testament, of Saul's conversion. It's told five times in the New Testament. Three of those alone are told in the book of Acts. It's important and popular and well-known because it's dramatic. A light from heaven, the voice of Jesus, 
I sometimes wish Jesus would just speak directly from heaven like that to me too. Lord, what should I do? Here's exactly what you should do, son. It's dramatic, but it's also pivotal because Saul will later call himself by his Roman name Paul, becomes the missionary force that brings Christianity and the church to the rest of the known world. In fact, he is the subject or author of many of the rest of the books in our New Testament. It's an important moment. In this story, there are two characters that both experience a breakthrough in their lives, a change from one part to the other, and in the middle, the cause of those changes is the power of God at work in their lives. First, and the most obvious is who? Saul. Saul. You remember what verse 1 said about Saul? He was breathing murder against the disciples. I don't, just don't breathe on me, dude. He's breathing murder. That's a big deal. In fact, when we first meet Saul, it's a few chapters ago, do you know what he's doing? He's holding the coats so that people are free to go and kill a Christian by stoning. Have you noticed, a lot of you get mad about this, and I, and I get it, I get a little mad too, that when something crazy is happening in the, in somewhere in the world, uh, there are more people taking video than there are rushing to help? Have you noticed that that happens sometimes? Sometimes it drives me a little mad. Saul, holding the coats for the people to go and engage in the murder of somebody in the name of God. And right after that, the Bible has this chilling verse at the beginning of chapter 8 where it says, And Saul approved of the killing of them. That's dark. That's a really dark thing. And from there, in chapter 9, verse 20, instead of persecuting Christians, he becomes one. Instead of carrying a word of condemnation to the Christians, he carries the message of Jesus to the world. Between verse 1 and verse 20, something changed, and that was a divine encounter with God. God, who, listen, I don't know if you know this or not, but Jesus is not confined to the four walls of the church. Jesus is not usually on our schedule. Jesus will go, uh, as the Bible tells us, the Spirit blows where the Spirit wills. Jesus will do the same thing, apparently to meet a bad man on a road to somewhere, and there Jesus is to change his life. And, and that's why, that's why we are told often in the Bible to go, because God is at work in the life of somebody on the road somewhere, and God needs us to be a part of that. That's why we go. And so Paul, Saul, uh, experiences a divine encounter with Christ, and he's transformed. But here's the one thing I want you to notice about this transformation. It's not easy. And transformation in our lives and in the lives of others is not always going to be easy. In fact, it rarely will be. You see, Saul was thrust into the darkness, blinded, quite literally, unable to eat, unable to drink, there with a bunch of people he didn't know in a place that he didn't know, completely vulnerable and in the darkness. Sometimes our transformation is going to require us to take a moment in the darkness. And we're going to wonder, why did this happen to me? But God is in the darkness. God is in the darkness. I taught briefly, uh, without divulging too much information, with a group of people who are experiencing recovery right now. And reading this passage, this person said, I felt like that when I got sent to jail. I was mad. But I found that God was in that jail, and I needed a moment to stop and sit in the darkness. And here's what I want to tell you one more about this. 
is that I think that the time that Paul spent in the darkness and the time that you and I will ever spend in the darkness is going to be part of what God uses to help us bring more hope to other people. I think people who have spent time in the darkness have the ability to bring more hope to people than others because they know what it's like, because they're not afraid to admit it, because they're not too proud to say, I see darkness in you, I see darkness in me, come here, my brother or sister, because they've been there. You ever heard the story of the guy who fell in the well? You probably heard this story. The guy fell in the well, and um, somebody came by and said, hey, are you stuck in the well? And he said, yeah, here I am. No, I'm just hanging out in the well. I'm stuck. He said, I'll pray for you. I'll pray for you. Then he walked off, and guess what? The guy was still stuck in the well. A few minutes later, uh, somebody came by and said, hey, you stuck in the well? Yeah, sure am. He said, hold on. He went and got something. He started writing, and he tossed down a sympathy card. I'm so sorry you're stuck in this well. And then his friend walked by. His friend looked in there and said, hey, you down there? He said, yeah. And his friend jumped into the well. You heard this story? And the guy said, what, are you crazy? I'm stuck in the well. Now we're both stuck in the well. And his friend said, yeah, but I've been here before and I know the way out. You see, sometimes, sometimes I think that the time in the darkness allows us to help more often, to give people more hope. Saul, his murderous breath changes to a proclamation of good news. The persecutor becomes a proclaimer. His mess becomes a message. His mess becomes a message. And that's what I want you, one of the things I want you to hear today. No matter how well put together you are, or you want others to think you are, uh, there's going to be a moment when you're going to look in the mirror and say, man, I'm a mess. I want you to remember that God makes a message out of the mess. And you, no matter how well put together we are, we're going to look at somebody else and we're going to have the thought, wow, they're a mess. But I want you to remember that God can make a message out of the mess. There's another turning point in the story is Ananias. And really quickly, the Ananias was one of the leaders of the Christian church in Damascus. We assume he's a leader. He's named as such later. And um, he experiences a big change. When he first refers to Paul, and I believe it's verse 13, he says, this man, just this man, generic, detached, at arm's length, But later on, when he actually goes to see Saul and lays his hands on him, you know what he calls him? Not Lord bless this man, but Brother Saul. I don't know. That's a big deal. I don't know if you realize that or not. Somebody who you can keep at arm's length versus somebody that you would call a a brother or a sister, somebody intimately a part of your life, that's a big change from noting somebody as an object to as a person to be in relationship with. God called Ananias, he said, yeah, I got a task for you. Great, I love a task. I'm a leader. I'm going to get it done. I'll go wherever you send me. Go see Saul of Tarsus. This guy, I know all about him. I know all about him. Have you ever been grateful that when people know all about you, it doesn't matter, Jesus will still change your life? I'm thankful. I'm thankful that God doesn't ask my permission before he changes somebody else's life. Thank goodness, because sometimes I can be like a donkey getting pulled uh, by a string away from food. Just as stubborn as a mule. Thank God that God works despite my approval. Uh, Because sometimes, sometimes we, we can get in the way, Ananias proves this section of his life, that we can get in the way of God's work in somebody's life, or at least not be a part of it, because we assume something about what we know about them. Oh, that person who lives in that part of town or who did that thing one time or uh, that drug addict or that person who's been in jail or that person who just doesn't dress the way I want them to. We can get in the way based on an assumption. But Brother Saul, that's the word of somebody who has gone to somebody in their darkness and known them more than just an object. 
but as a person, from a stranger to a brother. And the last thing I'll tell you is this. Sometimes we need to be Ananias in the life of other people because sometimes people need us to come and join them in their darkness. Sometimes people need a hand in their transformation. Sometimes people need to know that, that it's, it's going to be okay. Sometimes people need to know that there's somebody beside me who believes that I don't have to be the way that I was and I don't have to be the way that I am, but they believe that I can be what God is making me and they won't hold against me what has been and they will hold me up and walk with me. Sometimes God is going to call you and me to go be a part of the transformation of somebody else. Sometimes we have to walk with people in their difficulties and through their transformation. Who, walk, who has walked with you in your life in transforming moments? Who's walked with you in your life during parts of your life where you've broken free or received healing or experienced the peace beyond understanding? Seriously, think about that. Who's been a part of your life? I'm thinking today, uh, Dean and Susan Slusser are here in the congregation uh, and my in-laws, who you've met a bunch, but you haven't met Dean and Susan. Dean and Susan Slusser uh, were those people and still are for Amanda and myself and for many, many, many people. Uh, If you'll notice, if you know my children... Uh, I have one named Dean Thomas, and you can draw the connection, and that's exactly why. Dean and Susan are also Jackson's godparents. We entrusted um, them to help pray for and care for Jackson's spiritual growth, and we were able to confirm him today. And I'm so thankful that Dean and Susan, this is going to be good, right? Watch this. Neil, I'm counting on you, buddy. Look at me firm like you've never felt anything in your life. Dean and Susan walked with me and Amanda both through our transformation and walk into new life. I, I guarantee you. I guarantee you we wouldn't have been able to make it in the Christian faith without them. Uh, snotty, leather jacket wearing, oh yeah, all the crazy spiky jewelry, goth makeup to school, acting like a fool. I said, they said, that, they didn't say that kid, that kid, his life is, no, they said, they said all right, I'm going to walk with you. I mean, in really big ways, they believed in my life and they were part of my life and the same with so many people. The same with so many people. That's like with Dylan and, and Kelly and Vic and Quinn who came alongside our, our four students for this period of time. Sometimes people need to walk with us. That's like TJ and Sharon who gave themselves to be a part of this whole process because we need people to walk with us. I wonder who's walked with you. And the next question should be obvious. is Who are you walking with? Who are you walking with? Today we've seen just a glimpse of what the church is all about. I don't care if you're part of the Methodist church, the Baptist church, the Pentecostal church. This is what the Christian church is all about, or the Presbyterian church. I don't care which denomination. This is what the church is about. The church is about people becoming Christians, Christians becoming disciples, and disciples helping people to become Christians. And over and over and over again. People becoming Christians by the transformation of Jesus Christ and the partnership of other people. Christians becoming disciples, and disciples helping people become Christians. That's what we've seen today. And we see a lot of that in the passage uh, in Saul's conversion, and with Ananias as well. And so I'm going to say this. Libby Kate and Millie and Jackson and Banks, I've got a charge for you. And church, I've got a charge for all of you too. Get up from this place and go out and walk with people because you never know who God is at work in, and help them to know Christ 
and to grow in their faith, for you are being sent. God is doing a thing in the lives of people, and he needs you to assist and partner with him along the way. If you'll do it, say amen. If not, say amen later. To fuel us on that journey and to inspire us, we come today to the table of the Lord.